Research Briefs podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Streveler, coming to you from the School of Engineering Education at Purdue University. The goal of Research Briefs is to expand the boundaries of engineering education research. In these podcasts, we'll speak to researchers about new theories, new methods, and new findings in engineering education research. Welcome to a Research Briefs bonus episode. In these episodes, I'll be speaking with new PhDs who are making a difference in their home countries. My guest today is Dr. Jenison Cotino, and I was lucky enough to meet Jenison when he began his PhD studies at Purdue. One thing that always struck me is that he has a deep love and respect for the people of Brazil, and that has been a driving force behind his life. He's back home now and has created virtual lab environments that increase both the procedural and conceptual learning of the students, and they also are accessible to students in remote regions of the country. So welcome to Research Briefs, Jenison. I'm so happy you could be with us today. Hi, Ruth. First, I would like to thank you for this invitation. I'd like to thank you to, to the audience of this podcast. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Can you begin by telling our listeners what led you to seek a PhD in engineering education? Yeah, I would say that I have several reasons. So first, I have a passion for teaching and especially teaching engineering. So since 1995, I've been teaching engineering so I started at a mechanical engineering program, but I had opportunities to teach for to teach in different programs like electrical engineering, civil engineering, teaching electronics, electrics, uh, computer, computer graphics, technology of materials. So I have a passion for that. I have a passion for being learning all the time, and then. I always look for new ways to become a better teacher, to help students learn more, better, and deeper. So that was one of the first reasons to look for an engineering education program. Um, Second, in 2001, I had the opportunity to lead uh, the creation of a new mechatronics engineering program. So it was an integrated curriculum, curriculum, five years. Mm-hmm. So in Brazil, all the engineering course has to be five years. So it was, five, it was a five-year engineering program. Uh, in 2001, I took a very innovative approach for that time. The curriculum was completely project-based, mm-hmm. uh, with also class, traditional class, but the main Structure was a project-based approach. Uh, the first year was very similar to our first year engineering program here at Purdue. So where students had to go through designing, solving problems, creating solutions for engineering programs. But the difference is that, is that in my program, uh, students had to go through this project team working during all the curriculum, all the five years, 
And every semester, they had to work in teams to solve an engineering program. Mm-hmm. So, and the complexity and the difficulty of each challenge was like increasing mm-hmm. every semester so students could move and use the what they learned in the one semester they needed to apply in a more professional way in the following semester and add new layers of complexity. So this program was very successful. Our students succeeded a lot. They won several prizes in Brazil. And even in South America and North America, they won some robotics competition. Uh, so that I'm very glad. Sometimes I meet students and they say, Jenison, thank you very much. Your approach, this idea of using project was uh, fantastic for me. And now I'm working in a company and blah, blah, blah. They, they normally give me a lot of good feedback. So I'm very glad for that. But at the same time, when I designed this course, uh, I had no education background. So was more based on no intuitions and some readings and seeing people in my institution implementing project based in the, <coughs> sorry. Uh, I saw people in my institution implementing project-based in a medical uh, program, and I thought, and I thought, why not using that approach in engineering, especially engineering mechatronics engineering. Uh, mechatronics engineering is very hands-on and very design-based, very applied, very applied engineering. So project-based is very appropriate. But I had not a good background to say the whys. I noticed that the results were very good. And then I stayed there for seven years, like leading the program. And then I left to take care of my company and other activities. Uh, But that, like, stayed in my mind all the time. So you should go forward. You should investigate why everything was good and what was not working very well and why. Mm-hmm. So that is a, the second reason. And third, I also have been working for the industry as a consultant. And then visiting the companies and helping them to work with product development and manufacturing. And my customers, they, they knew that I was also a professor. And they use it to complain, oh, your students or engineering students, they come to the, to the industry and they, they have very basic skills, like hands-on skills. They have to learn here in the company. So a lot of complaints about the students, the graduates. Mm-hmm. Graduate. So, and then, okay, there is something wrong. I need, it's interesting to investigate why that at that time I thought was only in Brazil but then when I start to read a lot of paper I notes that this is a problem in I think the whole world uh, and I don't know if there is a very good solution because part of the learning process will happen always happen in the industry but I think we, sh- we can prepare our students a little bit better for them to go to the industry more prepared. Mm-hmm. So, and this is a 
one more reason. So how to better prepare our engineering students, our graduates. And then finally, I have also a company. So I design and produce uh, engineering education laboratory equipment. So for mechatronics, mechanics, civil engineering. So, and then I looking to looking for my products like 2014, I noticed that, wow, I'm complaining about the lab courses, but my lab manual still has a lot of cookbook or very precise instructions. And then I thought, oh, I need also to change a little bit the way labs are taught. So try to introduce project or problem-based approach or discovery learning, change a little bit to not be so, uh, I would say cookbook. So to refer to a very precise set of instructions where students just have to follow. And so try to find ways to improve my labs was also a, a reason for looking for engineering mm -hmm. education program. And then when I start to look, to search for a place to take my PhD, I found Purdue. And Purdue was the number one. Uh, during my master, I had some friends who came to Purdue to take their PhDs in mechanical engineering. So then I decided, okay, I will apply for Purdue. And I'm and very happy that I was admitted. Well, we are glad to have you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I know from being on your dissertation committee that you brought that interest in labs uh -huh. um, into your dissertation work. Could you just tell us a little bit about that kind of the elevator speech for um, your dissertation work? Yeah. So one of my my let's say observations in Brazil and um, I had the opportunity to visit different universities all over the country in Brazil and also visit industry and I noticed that yes our students they have very few uh, practical skills hands-on skills designing skills and I for based on my intuition and working the labs, we had like kind of bias and I said, okay, I think the labs may be responsible for part of this problem. So I believe that the full potential of the lab education is not explored uh, by educators. So like this cookbook instruction, well structured uh, procedures, that makes it easy for the instructor, makes it easy for the students to go to the lab, but that does not foster deep learning or I would say a good learning. So we, we follow instructions. I don't know if we can learn much doing just that. Mm -hmm. So, and then I got this kind of impression or belief. And then I start to conduct some lit review 
and I did a systematic literature review about the uh, instructional design for labs. And what I noticed was great part of the labs, yes, they use this kind of well-structured procedures. So I'm calling this cookbook, but not all of their cookbook, but a great part uh, just say to do, 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 do. And I noticed that students complain a lot this process and the assessment used in the labs basically focus on reports, grading reports, and the reports also follow a structure that students have few opportunities to change, to think beyond that experience. So during the lit review, I thought, okay, yes, I'm, I'm sure I, I have a, a topic to be exploring. So why the labs are so structured and why the labs are not being fully explored to help students. So that was the starting point for mm -hmm. my mm -hmm. dissertation. Yes. Then going further, I could explore a different dimension, like I could explore uh, students, we could explore the facilities, the lab environment, but I also found that faculty beliefs, uh, faculty beliefs may impact a lot on the way teaching occurs, mm -hmm. the relationship between beliefs and teaching practice. So that was very interesting for me. And then I decided, okay, let's see what are the faculty beliefs regarding lab education. Let's see what are their practices. And let's see how the practices and teaching and then beliefs uh, are aligned. So, and then I conducted my research in this direction. First, the faculty beliefs, then teaching practices, and then the relationship between beliefs and practices. Do you want to tell people your major punchline, your major finding about what that relationship was? Yeah, I found very interesting things. So, first, uh, I identified several factors that play uh, a role in the faculty decisions, like large enrollment, uh, sometimes the TA, the lack of preparation of the TA, lack of training of the TAs, uh, focus on research instead of teaching. So these kind of finds are very common in another uh, teaching space. Uh, lack of investment to buy new equipment, traditions. So I heard faculty saying that, yes, creating a new procedure or creating a new approach would require a lot of time and would require a lot of steps toward approving this kind of change in the curriculum. So these were like, to me, like this, how can I say, circumstantial mm -hmm. factors. Right, right. And there were, I found also there some beliefs uh, 
And then, for example, one strong belief was the need to complete the curriculum, like uh, content, mm -hmm. the focus on the content. Yeah. I need to teach all this content. So the focus is more on the content than with the, the learning of students. Mm -hmm. So, and then also the need to be connecting every practice with the theory behind. So if I am teaching beams, I need to have a practice related to beams. That is good, but that creates also difficulties because the students go to the lab, they will just validate the theory in the classroom. And that's very passive. <laughs> okay, what professor told me is true. That's perfect, okay. I think engineering could be a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So, but I also found uh, very interesting initiatives from faculty trying to change a little bit. Uh, so, my main findings were, okay, I identified five different orientations to teaching in the labs. So, in these orientations to teaching in the labs, a very particular way faculty see the learning process and the teaching process in the labs. So among these dimensions, I found, for example, orientation. One is very content-oriented. So the labs I use it just to supplement the lectures. If I teach A, I go to the lab and do A. Mm -hmm. And then there was some, when second orientation was like connecting theory into practice. So it's very similar to to supplementing lecture but the goal here is brings the idea of show students some practical applications of the theory they still focus on the validation of the theory but bring some connection with the, the practices of engineering and then i found a third orientation was using the labs to uh, develop professional ways of being so, for example, uh, using the lab to help students have connection with the standards in the profession, how to conduct a tensile test, how to uh, do a specific uh, test mm -hmm. in the process, uh, questions related to safety. So, give to the students some ideas of what is in the profession. Uh, and then one second is very, all of them are very close to the other. Some, mm -hmm. some beliefs that changed a little bit. And the fourth one was uh, uh, looking for developing professional skills necessary to the profession. Not teaching them how to follow a standard, but helping them to develop some design skills, uh, problem solving uh, in a very uh, constrained uh, environment. So this orientation is more towards the students, student center, but uh, the labs are still uh, limited. 
for several reasons. And then one final, the uh, final orientation was related to developing expertise. So very open-ended activities, students need to go through a solution process and the faculty works more like as a facilitator. They are not giving the right answers, but more asking questions, guiding students, and help them to become experts in the, in the field. So I heard a lot of people in this different or with these different orientations. But then when I went to analyze the teaching practice, I found some tensions, a lot of tensions. Some faculty say, I would love to do that, but indeed I'm doing that. And the reasons were like the circumstantial factors, like mm -hmm. I'm uh, focus on research, no reward for teaching. Uh, and and regarding to reward for teaching, I think the labs is in the last position. So first lecture, there is no reward for improving the lecture. And the labs, uh, yes, there is no, no, absolutely no reward for being in the labs. And then they say, oh, why try to improve the lab? if I have no benefit from, from right. that. Right. So a lot of different factors playing a role in the teaching practice. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I found some misalignment between the orientations and the teaching practice. Mm -hmm. uh, and they just fight this based on these factors. But to me, okay, these factors are important. They play a significant role. But also the beliefs or contradictions, internal contradictions, uh, the faculty like exposed, exposed. So a lot of misalignments too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, well, you know what's really exciting now too, if we kind of move to what you're doing now is, mm -hmm. I know that you are designing labs and you've talked about your passion for the students and wanting them to be able to develop these skills. Um, can you tell us now a bit about what you're doing to develop these virtual labs um, back home in Brazil? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So when I was here in my PhD, I think two years ago, I started to explore labs or when I started to doing the lit review about labs, I found some applications related to the use of virtual labs. And I thought, oh, that's very nice. That would help a lot my students. So I'm from Brazil. Uh, there is not much investment in education, especially for the labs. So, and I believe that, okay, virtual labs may be very important to students learning engineering. So even though they don't have, sometimes they don't have their hands on activity, but if they go to the virtual labs, they can learn a lot. But then I noticed that most virtual labs, they focus only on the conceptual knowledge. So basically they show the phenomenon and then students change a little bit the variables and see what happens in the output, more input, output showing some representations. That's very nice, that's great, 
But in my view, that would be not sufficient for Brazil because I wanted to see my students learning of this procedural knowledge, uh, how to do the stuff, how to assemble, how to set up an experiment. And then, in my view, it was necessary to switch a little bit the, the way virtual labs are used. And then I start to develop the whole process of the lab. So students need to like plan the experiment. They go, they need to set up the experiment. So fixing parts, uh, plugging electronic cables, uh, fixing the sensor, defining where to put the sensors. And then they go to the experiment, the virtual experiment, and they have opportunities to explore the conceptual knowledge. And they, they can get the data, they can go to the data analysis. So, and even the data, we don't use theoretical results. We don't use the formulas. And uh, we do the experiment and collect data. We do the experiment several times, collect data and create a kind of stochastic model for the data. So the idea is when the students are doing their labs, they will have randomness, they will have a lot of noise mm -hmm. and systematic errors. All the possible errors would be like introduced. So when they get to analyze the data, they will see difference between the theory and between the data they have, which is very common in engineering. So and they have to think about why that, why that, right? So we try to do as much as real possible as possible. Mm -hmm. So doing that. So and then these virtual labs, they 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 are very okay, well received by mm -hmm. faculty in Brazil. So today we develop uh, chemistry, physics, and some engineering labs related to structural analysis. And even here at Purdue, they are using some of our virtual labs. There are like nine virtual experiments being used by students at the aeronautical and astronautical engineering program here. And the feedback is amazing. The feedback is very good from professor and from students. Today they use the virtual labs as a pre-lab. So students go to the pre-lab, run the pre-lab, and then when they go to the lab, do the hands-on, they already know what to do, how to analyze the data, what to expect from the analysis. And then they do the data analysis. And that was a surprise for me, but the professor told me that students are also using the virtual labs as a post-lab. They are using the post-lab to check the results from the hands-on lab and then compare the results. So it's been, for me, very, very interesting, very important. I'm, I'm glad they are doing that. And what do you see the next step being? for your labs? Yeah, uh, we are, our goal is to develop uh, all the labs possible in engineering education. So today we are running uh, teams 
working in electrical, uh, virtual labs, teams working in mechanical, and team works in chemical engineering. So there is a kind of timeline with different labs. We are running labs in robotics and mechatronics. So my idea is to have as many as more possible labs. So, and then today these labs have been, are being used by more than 5,000 students in Brazil. That is we so fabulous. We have students in the Amazon, so the very extreme part of the Amazon, indeed, in the uh, indigenous reserve. They are using that. We have people using the countryside of Brazil. We have students in the coast, so rich and poor and minorities. They have opportunity to use because it's cheap. So they can just go to uh, have a Chromebook or a small computer, or wherever they go, they can access a computer and they can use the virtual apps. We made them very, how can I say, not have it, not requires a large computer machines. Mm -hmm. We can use a small notebook with a few graph capacity and they are running very well. That so, is great. That is yes, great. I, I'm, I'm glad that's happening. And we also develop uh, physical labs. So what we do too is uh, the equipment we create, we are creating a virtual version. Again, to help students to do the pre-lab, get prepared, and then when they go to the lab, they can spend their time uh, not on the extraneous cognitive load, like how to operate the equipment. When they go to the lab, they already know how to operate they will focus on the interesting part. So, and that interesting part depends on their learning objectives. But uh, in my view, my students should go to the lab to learn the engineering skills. So, for example, designing experiment, running the experiment, collecting the data. And sometimes that's not possible because the students need to learn how to operate, then they need to see the instructions and understand the instructions. And then when you see, there is no more time. And I know this kind of thing in the my dissertation. Mm -hmm. Faculty said, okay, they spend half of the time learn what to do. The other part is trying to do, and sometimes they cannot accomplish the, the whole process. Right. Yes. Well, this is, I think you've given the listeners a really good trajectory of your interest, coming to study it, to figure out why things were happening, and then actually implementing it. And um, I want to thank you for being with us today, and I look forward to knowing what you're going to be doing in the future. I know there will be wonderful things that you will do for Brazil and for the world. Oh, Ruth, thank you very much for this invitation. And then again, thank you to the audience of this podcast. I, I'm glad you invited me. Very happy for that, to share some ideas, some things I'm doing. So thank you very much. You're welcome. And we will put um, a uh, link 
to some of your work on the website with the podcast. So if people want to find out about that, they can find it there. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. I will prepare some videos or some good links too. That would be fabulous. Yes. Perfect, Ruth. So thank you very much. Thank you. Research Briefs is produced by the School of Engineering Education at Purdue. Thank you to Patrick Vogt for composing our theme music. A transcript of this podcast can be found by Googling Purdue Engineering Education Podcast. And please check out my blog, ruthstreveler.wordpress.com.